Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Charlie Saul. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you. So for those who don't know you, I wonder if you give us a quick uh, brief history of how you come to be talking to me today about culture. Yeah, so I've been studying, uh, researching cultural measurement for the past 10 years or so at MIT, and this has led to uh, a big culture study we did called the Culture 500, which is a study of more than uh, 1.3 million employees from 500 or so of the largest uh, employers in America. And uh, off of the back of that, uh, my co-founder and I have written a bunch of uh, articles about things like uh, toxic culture, walking the talk on culture, uh, what are the most important elements of a culture to get right, uh, and a few other things. Uh, that, that series is available on MIT Slow Management Review. And then uh, off of the back of this research, uh, my co-founder and I started a firm called CultureX that, uh, that uses AI to measure and improve uh, cultures. So we work uh, with a lot of the, the world's leading uh, companies to, uh, to measure and improve culture. Super. Um, one of the, if we could start with a very sort of simple question, um, but it's one that seems to elude a lot of people. When we talk about culture, how do you describe culture? Yeah, so that's a good question. So a big reason why we started doing all of our research around measuring culture and actually pinpointing what it is is because it's such a nebulous concept, right? It seems mm. like everyone has a different concept of culture. Yeah. And when you're reading the when you're reading literature about this, you sometimes just have to work with whatever the working definition is. And sometimes those are very good definitions. So, for instance, in the case of Alex Edmonds work um, on uh, measuring the financial impact of culture, he defines culture as a, a strong employee experience as being included on one of these best employer lists. I believe it was Fortune. Um, for various things we do, for instance, we have one study where we study the um, the impact of cultures of agility um, on, on stock prices. And there we define culture as, uh, basically speaking positively about agility across dozens of topics on Glassdoor. Um, but, uh, the overall, um, definition we adopt at CultureX is, uh, Chapman and O'Reilly's definition, which holds that, uh, culture is a, uh, a set of strongly held norms, uh, and values across the company. And the upshot of this definition is that it's actionable and it's measurable. So the idea is that if employees uh, strongly believe in certain values or strongly uphold certain norms, they'll actually speak about them when they're speaking about their company on Glassdoor or in uh, internal engagement surveys. And as kind of um, uh, to, to put that into maybe more human terms, uh, I was um, I had an interview with uh, an editor from The Economist a couple of weeks ago, and he gave me this this definition, which I actually think works very well, uh, which is culture is what you do when your boss isn't there. So it's it's these sets of uh, norms and values that you uphold uh, and you follow um, even without uh, kind of uh, conventional uh, hierarchies of authority. That's interesting what you do when your boss is not present. Hmm. So that was to set a, a ground of what, what culture is. So you've already mentioned um, toxic culture. Um, what are some of the key components of what we can call a, a positive culture? And what are some of the key components of a toxic culture as, as you see it through your research? Yeah, so... So that's a great question. I, 
the thing about culture is it's very, very complex. So when we uh, measure employee feedback on Glassdoor or in uh, internal surveys, we're measuring more than 200 different cultural topics. And depending on the situation, any one of those might be important or it might be less important. So this includes things like uh, what we call the, uh, the big nine most frequently uh, espoused cultural values and official uh, corporate value statements. So things like uh, agility, collaboration, customer orientation, execution, diversity, uh, innovation, performance, respect, um, a couple other ones. But there, there, are, there are many uh, cultural topics that matter. So for instance, in some cases, food perks, it turns out, are, are matter a great deal for employees. That can be one of the highest impact ways to improve in certain cases. Uh, in certain cases, even pet friendliness can, can emerge as an issue. So culture is very complex. It's operating across hundreds mm. of different dimensions. Uh, and for the question of what makes a healthy culture, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting. It's something we've looked into. So our, our methodology there is uh, we analyze um, about 1,600 of the largest companies uh, in America. Again, this, this, uh, this analysis is just in the US, but you can, if you do it across the world, it's, you get fairly similar, similar results normally. Uh, and then you analyze those cultures uh, across the dimensions of where employees speak the most positively about a number of uh, important cultural dimensions. So uh, the big nine, as, as I mentioned before, are um, these cultural values that virtually every big company aspires to. So you measure on average which of them, uh, which of these companies are doing the best on those values. And then you uh, also uh, measure which of uh, which companies uh, do employees say culture just in general terms is going the best. So you yeah. analyze those 10 things. And then on average, you plot each of their cultural performance relative to their industry. Um, and you can do this for 1600 firms. And on average, the top firms are nearly two standard deviations above their industry. So really excel right. on things. Yeah. And then you can take the, the top decile of those 1600 firms, so about 160 firms, and you can see on average, what do they do really well relative to their industry? And as you can imagine, this top decile of firms, the culture champions, um, succeed on an, a number of, of different dimensions. I mean, they're, they're above average on almost everything. Mm. Uh, but what's interesting is the thing they have most in common that they tend to succeed the most on is this topic uh, we call voice of the employee. Right. So what voice of the employee is, is it's the company's ability to listen to what employees have to say uh, to identify issues and then address those issues. So yeah. in other words, this is the closest topic that we have to, uh, to cultural measurement. Mm -hmm. what, what, the, what the culture champions, I mean, they, they get a lot of things right, but the thing they get the most right that they most have in common is this ability to identify issues of, of various kinds throughout the organization. So anything ranging from you know, diversity and inclusion to collaboration, to pet friendliness, to whatever, wherever there's an issue within the organization, the culture champions do an exceptionally good job of uh, identifying that as an issue, uh, incorporating the employee voice into their decision making and addressing that issue. 
And then conversely, if you look at the 10% worst companies in our sample, the 160 worst companies, this is also one of the main things that they do the worst. So they're on average more than a a standard deviation below their industry average on voice of the employee. So in terms of what makes a successful culture, uh, cultures can succeed in a number of directions. So for instance, um, Nordstrom has a very strong culture of, uh, you know, customer orientation. Netflix has a very strong culture of agility and execution. It's possible to succeed on a whole bunch of different cultural dimensions. But the one thing that unites the strongest cultures more than anything else um, is this idea of voice of the employee or, uh, mm-hmm. or cultural measurement. Uh, so that's a long answer. I'll pause there. No, no, no. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. So the the voice is that... Is that also a part of how they identify these, you know, potential upcoming issues? Because you were saying that they identify issues and then they include people's voice to, you know, basically resolve them. That's the heart of it. So so the employees Mm. themselves are voicing the issue. In in large organizations, you have, you know, you can be thousands of miles away from headquarters and you have employees in these disparate parts of the company saying this disparate thing is an issue. Um, and regardless of what, what that issue is or where in the organization that's happening, what the culture champions do a very good job of is saying, oh, okay, I see what's going on there and I'm going to you know, address it. Mm. So there's this, um, yeah, this environment, of, <clears throat> pardon me, this environment that it's, it's, it's safe to air issues, it's safe to air concerns, um, you know, psychologically safe. You'll be yeah. listened to, things will happen as a result of it. Even if they don't, you'll still get communicated back that, hey, we looked at this and it didn't happen. And I suppose conversely, if you've got an environment where it's not even safe to talk, let alone, yeah, if it's not even safe to talk, it's not, um, you know, you you put up your suggestions and it's, you know, you get this reaction that's quite defensive then you know i think we many of us have been in a situation where all of a sudden after a while when a manager doesn't listen to you he just get he or she just gets surrounded by silence yeah that's exactly what's going on so psychological safety is a different construct than voice of the employee but they're pretty closely okay. related and the the culture champions also tend to do very well on psychological safety and the 10 percent worst cultures this is one of the things they they do the worst so psychological safety is uh, is is crucial and um very closely related to voice of the employee mm. Mm. and what i really like about what you're saying and, and that your research is that you've actually been able to link this to the performance of an organization because one of the bits that i get from some of the business leaders that i speak to is that they see culture almost as a separate thing to operations and and so on yet they're all intermeshed and interwoven i mean you've used the word you know this is very complex yeah i mean i think it's a mistake for uh leaders of of companies not to recognize the financial importance of culture i mean the the effect at this point is very well documented so going back to that Edmund study i I referenced what he found using this uh very sophisticated um impressive methodology is that a strong culture purely from an employee experience perspective so ignoring things like agility innovation uh execution etc for a second purely from a strong employee experience perspective, things like engaging employees, retaining employees, um, 
that's worth uh, approximately 20% of market capitalization over five years. So that's huge for, for, for a larger company that's a multi-billion dollar, it can yeah. be an asset or it can be a liability, but it's a multi-billion dollar uh, phenomenon. And then what we're seeing is as we, um, you know, continue to do this, uh, this new research about measuring culture, uh, we're seeing the other side of culture, this direct value creation. So things like cultivating a culture of agility, cultivating a culture of innovation, execution. Uh, this, if anything, probably has even more financial impact on an organization. So hmm. we're still in the early days of this, but one uh, kind of quick and dirty analysis we did is we took uh, the top two and a half um, percent most agile companies in our large uh, Culture 500 sample. Um, uh, publicly traded, um, and we looked at their share price uh, over a five-year period compared to the S&P 500 and NASDAQ. And over that five-year period, uh, the S&P 500 grew by 65%, so not great. NASDAQ about 128%, so a little bit better. But the most agile companies in our firm, their share price increased by over 500% in that five-year five period. So just you know, a small data point, but it stands to reason that if you can effectively seize new opportunities in the market or you can effectively innovate new products or you're, you're very good at execution, just getting stuff done, um, it stands to reason that that would uh, translate into a lot of uh, financial value creation. Hmm. And uh, if you if you actually, I, I think actually that senior leaders <laughs> of, of companies do um, at least to some extent acknowledge the financial importance of, uh, of culture. So there's this great study by... Uh, uh, by Graham at Duke, uh, where he he uh, administered a survey to about 1,400 CEOs and CFOs of, of pretty large companies. So the the, the median um, uh, company size in the sample was about 100 million revenue. About a quarter of the sample had more than a billion dollars of revenue. So these were pretty big companies. Yeah. And this the the CEO and the CFO, not the CHRO. Mm. And um, he asked the CEOs and the CFOs. Out of every conceivable thing that could impact financial value creation in your company, so things like choice of CEO, um, market conditions, strength of uh, strength of competition, uh, strategy of any conceivable factor, um, where would you put culture in terms of what uh, what drives value creation? And more than half of the sample said that culture was a top three driver of financial value creation. So I think there is um, recognition among senior leaders of, uh, of companies uh, that culture does translate into uh, value creation. But I think where, where that breaks down and why a lot of uh, leaders of companies are kind of skeptical of, of actually acting on this and improving their culture is because culture is... Um, up until now, such a, a kind of this nebulous, amorphous construct, and you don't really know what it is or how to measure it. Um, so our hope is that at CultureX and with this research we're doing at MIT, if you're better able to measure culture and actually translate this um, this phenomenon into you know hard numbers that are reliable, um, you can put this on the CEO's agenda, and they're going to take this more seriously, and they're going to uh, then improve the culture. Mm. It's interesting that um, yeah, kind of. <clears throat> that's where we are at in the journey in terms of you know people like yourself having to amass this this you know large wealth of data that's that's got a high lot high level of reliability and rigor behind it in order to get it on the agenda um one of the most interesting things i've you know i've, I've been interviewing a number of ceos and i asked them you know does culture 
you know, is culture on your top team agenda? Is it in your board agenda? And by and large, it's not an agenda item. Absolutely. Because, and that makes sense because CEOs, you know, I, I talk to a lot of CEOs as mm. well. And they're, one of their defining characteristics is that they're just very busy. They have a million things on their plate from, you know, <laughs> markets in Asia to government subsidies, to all, you know, all, all this stuff they have to think about. And unless you give them really good data that makes a really compelling case, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard to make it to the top of their, uh, their plate. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I don't view that as a, you know, an inherent fault of CEOs or anything. The reality is they're, they're just very busy. And unless you give mm. them really good data, it's, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And yet it's interesting because if we do ignore culture, then companies can go along a path, which will sort of implode them from the inside. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's incredibly important, uh, yeah, for financial value creation and for the you know the well-being of employees, culture culture matters a, a tremendous amount. But it's it's you know if you don't have strong measurement, it's all kind of poetics. It's it's this thing that on some level CEOs think matters, but they're not going to do anything about it because they they don't know where to begin. I mean, it's just such an amorphous concept unless you have yeah. really rigorous uh, measurement. Yeah, which is why I started this podcast by asking you what how do you define culture you know because we you know like as you said it's this nebulous concept that we're all talking about but what actually is it you know to get your arms around it let alone measure it yeah well i so the the key to cultural measurement is listening to what employees actually say with with their natural language and if you can mm. do that effectively um, you can really understand a lot of what's going on across hundreds of these cultural topics and make sense of this uh, this complex phenomenon and turn a amorphous phenomenon into something um, quantifiable. So if anyone's interested in, in kind of how we do this, um, you can get a sense of our approach uh, with with the Culture 500, this this big study we did on MIT where it uses mm. lots data and then you can see you know for instance how innovative is microsoft compared to google or how, how good of a culture of execution is um you know tesla compared to ford or, or whatever um and the, the hope is that by mapping the culture in in this way and, and kind of quantifying everything and pinpointing everything um you can get something akin to uh kind of mapping the genome that that's yeah. A metaphor we use like once we once we map the genome it's possible to make all these great advances in actually improving people's health because you understand what's going on at a granular mm -hmm. level um and our hope and actually our experience is that once you can um map the culture in a rigorous way um you can uh, make a lot more progress towards actually improving these these cultures which is um something we do regularly with our clients mm. so um when you when you have a client who's yeah let's Let's go and measure. Let's go and measure the culture, and then they get the results. Um, what, what sort of journey do you take them on after that? Because if if you've actually captured the imagine of a CEO, and and they actually want to do something about it and stick it as an agenda item, where do they go from there? Yeah. So great question. So effective measurement. Uh, does basically two things. So one is out of all the hundreds of dimensions of culture that could potentially matter to your company, it prioritizes which, uh, what is important 
and across big companies, what is important in various microcultures of the organization. So the first thing you can get to do is get a, get a good sense of, you know, okay, so across my organization as a whole, what really matters is psychological safety. And in North America, workload is a big issue. And then, you know, different segments of the company and various things are a different issue. So that's kind of what people think of as traditional measurement. And it's actually really broken down. I mean, the, the way most companies do this right now doesn't work at all. Mm. Um, so, that? well, that, that's a whole, that's a whole <laughs> different issue. All right. Um, we'll, we'll part that for another day. We can definitely go into that in, in a second. Um, yeah. but the second thing, um, effective measurement does is it not only tells you what to prioritize, it tells you how to fix it. Yeah. So the, the great thing about understanding the employee voice, and this is actually a large reason why, um, traditional measurement doesn't work too well, liquor scale measurement, um, so when employees will talk about um, what they like about the company or what they'd like to change about the company, oftentimes they, they go into a great level of detail in the free text comments hmm. and they provide context for why a specific topic isn't working so well and ideas for how to fix it. So hmm. actually, when you, when you do measurement the right way, you can dive into, um, you can dive into any given topic and not only establish why it matters, but also you can establish the context behind why it's not working so well and find ways to to uh, to improve it. So really what we say is in to 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 affect real cultural improvement. It's it's complex. I mean, the, uh, yeah, the, there are a few things that go into it for sure. But the two fundamental things you need are top team buy in. So you need the, the, the top team, the CEO specifically mm. normally. Um, to be personally bought into this and dedicated to changing it. And then you need effective measurement, which does those two things. Firstly, reliably prioritizes what to focus on where. And secondly, tells you um, basically the context of what's going on and how to fix it. And if you have those two things, I mean, again, there are other things that go into it. You have to think about social norms. You have to think about, you know, the stories you tell, who to hire and, and so forth. But if the top team is competent and they're bought in and they know what's going on and how to fix it, they can normally fill in, fill in the rest of the pieces. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that, that's a little bit about why, um, why effective uh, measurement is, is so important and, and some of the ways it works. And, you know, from, yeah, from there, the, the rest is important. It's a little bit complex. But if you have those two cornerstones of cultural mm -hmm. improvement, uh, then the rest are, to, to some extent, uh, details that a competent top team is going to be able to fix on their own. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that, yeah, like you said, it's, it's the, the free text that gives you know the real meat because that's where you're tapping into the actual human experience. I mean, one of the things I, I find challenging with this is, yes, you need to be able to measure it so you can quantify it, so you can place it in that sort of, you know, data-driven business environment. But what we're actually talking about is human experience and how our humans are turning up. And they don't always conform to how we'd rationally like them to um, move. Yeah, employees are not always rational. <laughs> For sure. no. Well, we're, you know, we are emotional beings. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I suppose that's what you're tapping into when you get into the in, into the free text and, and the glass door reviews, which, you know, one to five doesn't really capture that, does it? Well, so one to five has a whole, it's just, <laughs> <Go> <laughs> all right, <on. laughs> 
let's let's get into this a little bit. Go on. <laughs> this is what I've dedicated my life to, to getting rid of these one to five point scale surveys. And they, they don't work for a variety of reasons. So just for, for context, in in this Graham study that, that I was talking about earlier that uh, surveyed um, 1,400 CEOs and CFOs, another one of the main findings was that the vast majority of cultures are not where they need to be. So when asked, um, is your culture where it needs to be? Uh, 84% of these CEOs and CFOs said, no, it's not. And there's other evidence for that. So if, if you just look across Glassdoor, um, there's a, one of the um, questions on Glassdoor is rate your culture on a scale of one to five. And across the world, the average rating for culture is 3.5. So that's, if you ask me, that's crap. If, if, if you saw a restaurant that has a 3.5 rating, I'm not going in that restaurant. No, you wouldn't, so, would you? <laughs> And an Uber driver wouldn't pick you up if you had a yeah, an Uber driver wouldn't pick you up. No, no one wants a 3.5 rating. So, so one thing that I think is pretty clear is that most cultures around the world even um, are, not what they're need, are not where they need to be. There's room for a lot of improvement. And I think a big reason for that, and it's not that there's no – so cultural measurement is, is vital for cultural improvement, cultural management. It's not that um, most organizations aren't measuring their culture. Most large organizations today do measure their culture. The problem is that form of cultural measurement does not work. It can measure uh, engagement, but it can't measure culture. Mm. And when you look at how most organizations measure these, um, try to measure their cultures, it's with a very long survey with a lot of one to five point scale questions. Hmm. Um, so the example, I and I'm sorry to, to drag your audience kind of into the. No, the no, no, no. No, this is this is like this is really important because um, I'm finding uh, a lot of organisations will use the use and and yeah, have got quite used to using these huge surveys. You know, 120 yeah. questions, yeah. 160 <laughs> questions, and we're asking all these questions to try and dial things down onto this little scale that makes things kind of neat and put them on a spider diagram and all of this. And it and you're right, it's shit. It doesn't work. It doesn't do the job. Employees hate it, and more importantly than employees hating it, it just doesn't effectively measure culture. So an example yeah. I like to use with this is, uh, say uh, you get home and you, uh, you're talking to your wife and your wife asks you, how's your day going on a scale of one to five? And you say, yeah. you know, it's going to four. And then she asks you a question, how did you sleep last night? Scale of one to five, you say four. How was your morning coffee? Scale of one to five, four. How is your reading of the newspaper? Was the news interesting? Scale of one to five. So she asks you all these questions, and, and her idea is that by asking 50 questions or 100 questions about all the various potential aspects of your day, um, she's going to understand what's going on in your day. But there are, a few, there are a few fundamental problems with that approach, and understanding these fundamental problems with this approach is kind of understanding the key to effective cultural measurement. Yeah. So the, the first of these problems is that when faced with 50 questions or 100 questions, I've, see, I've seen as many as 150 questions, actually. Um, yeah. When faced with this many questions, virtually every employee is going to go on a high level of autopilot. Yeah. So that means they're just answering, regardless of what the question is, they're, they're really not even paying attention, yeah. but they're saying, you know, whatever, four, 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 four. four. Yeah. And this is actually a huge problem. So, for instance, in a typical um, survey we looked at, it was a big survey, 100,000 employees. Um, 15,000 of those employees just went through and did the exact same answer for each of, uh, I think it was 54 questions. Same, exact same, just not paying attention at all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
so that's bad. But what's even worse is that the majority, the vast majority almost, 72% um, of them went on high aut autopilot, which I would define as answering at least 90% of all the questions with the same two answers. Yeah. So most of your employees on these surveys, if you ask too many questions, or even if you ask even a couple dozen questions, you, you get pretty high autopilot. Most of the employees are really just not even paying attention to these questions. So if you get you know garbage in, garbage out, it's, it's very difficult to get insight if the employees aren't even paying attention to the questions. So that's one problem. It's a really big problem, autopilot. The second problem is that, okay, so now you're answering, you're asking all these questions and say for the sake of argument, employees are actually paying attention to them and they're giving mindful results. They're saying this is five, this is one, this is three. Mm -hmm. You still don't know what's important to the employees. So you're asking a lot of questions and you're getting their response, but you don't know which of these questions actually matters the most to them. So it's very important if you're trying to do things like establish um, uh, how to engage employees or how to retain employees. Um, if you're trying to establish that, you need to know what actually matters to these employees. And the way uh, companies traditionally do this, they get a lot of answers, but they don't know which of those answers actually matter to which employees. And the third fundamental problem with this uh, traditional approach that we're trying to replace is that, um, okay, so say, you have a question and the employee gives it a two. That's, that's all the information you have. You don't know how to fix that question. You don't know how to improve it. You just have this one uh, digit, which is two, and you don't have any context. You don't have any ideas for how to improve. Um, so th these results, even if employees are paying attention and you know what matters to them, which you don't, um, these results aren't particularly actionable. Hmm. So that's the wrong way to measure culture. <clears throat> it's the way that most people do it. And it, it's, it stands to reason that most cultures aren't where they need to be if most companies are measuring culture like this. And the right way to do it is very simple, but it wasn't possible until quite recently because it, it uh, required the development of, of text analysis AI. Um, and the right way to do this is to simply ask employees, what do you like about working here? What don't you like about working here? And when you ask an employee, what do you, for instance, I guess say, ask them, what don't you like about working here? And they say, I don't like my boss. I, 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 what I really want is strategic work. I don't want busy work. My boss keeps giving me busy work. Um, okay. So from that simple text, which took about five seconds to write, now you know what matters to the employee. Um, you know how they feel about it. And you also have some context and ideas for actually how to improve. So even though it's, it, it takes, it, these, these surveys are much more efficient. These surveys only take a couple of minutes. Um, mm. But you learn much, much more actionable insight about what matters to them. Um, and it turns out when you, when you, apply, this, uh, when you apply this technique to, to actual real companies, you can see really dramatic uh, cultural improvements in very short, short amounts of time. Um, for instance, you know... Well, we I guess, have, yeah. so, sorry, Charlie. I guess it plays back to... Um, what you were saying is one of the, you know, the the biggest parts of uh, a, you know a positive, productive culture, which is you're actually listening to an employee, and 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 then acting on what you hear. Exactly, it, it's it's as simple as that. I mean, going back to what makes successful culture successful, <clears throat> makes unsuccessful cultures unsuccessful. It's the employee voice. It's, it's their their voice, their natural language, responding to how they actually feel. Um, and if you don't ask questions this way, if you don't understand their their actual language, 
it's very difficult to communicate with them to understand their needs and then to uh, to address their needs. So that's mm. in a nutshell. That's that's kind of the heart of of everything. That's the heart of cultural measurement. The heart of how to improve cultures. Mm. Um, that's where pretty much all of our research takes us. Mm. So it's, it's very much tapping into this more subjective experience than objectifying it. Well, I'm not sure about subjective. I mean, it, it's it's taking mm. in a big company hundreds of thousands of subjective voices <clears> and, and trying to find the objective reality about yeah. where where your culture is. Um, but it's it's certainly you know taking into account people's people's opinions, just kind of in a more uh, accurate, meaningful way. Hmm. Hmm. That's uh, super fascinating. Um, one of the um, one of the sort of questions I like to ask all my guests towards the end of these conversations is, um, what's one of the things about culture that we're not talking about that we really should be? Uh, well, I think we just covered a, a lot of what I like to talk yeah. about, which is that if, if you're trying to improve culture, I mean, so so my my central narrative that I always come back to is that culture matters, which we covered. Um, culture is not where it needs to be, which we covered. Um, if you're trying to improve culture, you need two things, uh, senior leader buy-in and effective measurement. Mm. Uh, most companies do not measure culture the right, the right way. The right way to measure culture is through this, uh, kind of natural listening, uh, natural language approach. Um, and if you can do that and you have a leadership buy-in, it's possible to get uh, dramatic results. So that, that's what I always hope people take away from these talks. And, I, you know, to answer the question with a different answer, um, a lot of th people don't talk enough about toxic culture. I mean, toxic culture is really kind of this uh, social issue. Uh, about 10% of employees experience toxic culture. Mm. It's something that not only impacts them at work, they take it home from work. It causes real human suffering to millions of people, and it's something that's uh, super addressable. So, in terms of you know so social issues to to bring up to the public consciousness, mm. um, I, I think we we should be talking more about toxic culture, especially since it's so uh, so addressable. To what degree? To what degree that you know all the study and research that you've done, Charlie? Um, how do you find that this means that you know outside of your job in your everyday life do you start to look much much deeper into the culture that surrounds you um you mean like the, the national culture of america well yeah i mean like well yeah i mean i suppose you know whether you're in whether you're in your sports club whether you're in your community whether yeah you want to go as far as you know the 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 national culture does um you know what you see in these I suppose on one level, you know, there really are big companies, but then at another level, you know, they're smaller microcosms when you consider the state that you're in or the country that you're in or, you know, do you find um, that it's something that you can uh, switch on and off or do you find yourself looking deeper into all the cultures that surround you and the impacts that it has on you? Well, I I think just on a day-to-day -day basis, experiencing corporate culture, it's... Um, it's kind of self-evident, and I, I don't think you need to be a cultural researcher to to kind of pick up on it. For instance, mm. in America, there's this uh, there's this fast food chain called In-N-Out Burger, mm. and uh, have have you ever been to? It's in California. Have you ever been no. to? 
Jennifer. Okay. If you ever get to California, it's, it's worth checking out. Um, right. I really and, want to come uh, to the national park, so <laughs> it should be soon. <laughs> um, and when you go there, everyone is happy and they're efficient and they're just working together and there's a kind of buzzing atmosphere. And sure enough, when you look at um, uh, when you look at Glassdoor, they have uh, one of the best cultures of any fast food chain in America. It's a really remarkable culture. Or when you yeah. go to a grocery store, so there's this grocery store in Texas, H E B, mm. um, one of the the best cultures in America. When you go to that grocery store, you can see employees are just you know they're engaged, they're working together. There's just there's something kind of intangible in the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, where you can sense that kind of things are, are, are working and they're working effectively. Um, versus if you go to another grocery store, I live next door to, um, uh, God, what's it called? Star Market, which is one of the mm. worst grocery stores in America. It's a terrible culture. And there the employees are, you know, they're miserable. They don't like, you know, look up when you, when you yeah. are checking out and everything. No help. <laughs> so it's, I mean, um, I, yeah, I don't think you needed to be a cultural researcher to pick up on the effects of a strong or, or, or weak culture. But w what is interesting to me is that how, how, uh, how often what I observe with my eyes um, corresponds to what I find on, uh, on Glassdoor. It's interesting how you can, uh, you know, there's this kind of intangible effect that you feel in the room. But yeah. then you get in front of your computer and you crunch the data and it shows you the same effect. So that that's kind of what what motivates me. It's the, it's this measurement question of taking something that's intangible but important um, and putting uh, kind of these these strong numbers on it and and making it more uh, more measurable. Because mm. one of the things I uh, when I end up talking uh, to people about culture. One of the things I try to get across is that, you know, I, I can give you some fancy definitions. We can have some deep and complex conversations. But ultimately, deep down, you, you know all this stuff. You feel it. You sense it. And you, you already know this stuff. And on one level, I can, I, I can provide data or I can point to, you know, articles like you, you've suggested. But deep, deep down, we already know this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. the, the chances are you're going to go to the In-N-Out Burger. You're going to go to that grocery store because why would you want to put yourself in a shitty situation? You know, even if it's just buying a burger or, or grabbing some groceries. Exactly. I mean, that that's the thing about culture. It's It really matters. It's all around you. It's it's this huge kind of amorphous force that's all around you. It's actually, so we, we, we were on um, uh, Brene Brown's podcast mm. a, a couple of months ago and she she studies emotion and we were actually able to connect on that i i think of culture kind of the same as i think of emotion so emotion is like always with you it, it really matters no one can deny that it has this powerful impact on on everything but it's kind of difficult to put your finger on and unless you have strong um emotional intelligence and you're able to kind of say oh this emotion is nostalgia or whatever um, it can be difficult to manage it. So yeah. for me, culture is, is kind of similar to emotion. You, you know it when you see it. It's, it's kind of all around you. It's this, um, but it's, it's this amorphous thing that unless you, um, and again, for me, it always comes back to measurement. Unless you can measure it, it's difficult to manage. So that's where, you know, that, that's why I, I do what I do. Super, super. Charlie, thank you so much for your time. Of course. Thanks, Brad. It was a pleasure.